Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. We have Will Quinlan on the show today who is nice enough to come in on his weekend after both working all day and being at the studio or was it the studio all day? Just studio today, yeah. Which begs the question, you're working on something. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a long story. Uh, I'm working on several uh, projects, but there's the main one I've been trying to finish for, I've been chipping away at for eight years. Well, the last so album that kinda, you put out was what, 2010? No, the Navasota record, the Diviners, was 2008. Okay. Um, I had a couple EPs after that, but no full album. And are since. you always writing, always putting, putting something somewhere just to yeah. come back to it later? Yeah. Um, and in a sense, sometimes it can feel like, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, so to speak. It's like a blessing, but I have a problem finishing going back and cause I'll, uh, you know, I'll get to sip it, a snippet of something new and then mean to, I'll, you know, drop it on the, <clears throat> on my phone or record it on, you know, real quick. And then I, I just forget about it. Yeah. I forget to come back to it. So. Well, it's funny too, because, you know, the way that, the way that people record thoughts has changed. You yeah. know, uh, and the ease of recording has become better, but I also think it's kind of spread us out over all these different devices and paper, yeah. iPhones, whatever the case. And it's like, yeah, I'm spread out. Definitely. I know I put it somewhere, but <laughs> I have to check 10 different places. Yeah. I've, I tried to make myself write things down by hand more often now. Yeah. Is it, uh, so as I understand it, you're from Texas. Yes. All right. So, uh, siblings, <clears throat> uh, had no longer. Okay. Brother, sister, two brothers. Okay. Now, uh, I, you know, when I talk to people who know you, it, it, there's always kind of this reverence that I can tell when they're, you know, talking <laughs> about, and I know you don't accept compliments well, but, but you're going to get a lot of them today. <laughs> no, I gladly accept them. I just don't know, I guess, uh, how to respond in a way that I feel is, uh, worthy of the compliment. Well, <laughs> Well, I I, Scott Anderson, uh, you know, has nothing but positive things to say uh, t about you. Melissa Grady, nothing but positive things. Sean O'Brien, Tom DeJordan, like all these people. You can't trust anything those well, people say. Yeah. <laughs> the odds are that there's something there. There's got to be some meat on the bone. But um, No, I'm very fortunate in my friends in that way. And but in their description of you... There's, there's a, there's a recurring theme, you know, shy, quiet, a little bit introverted, introspective, and obviously listening to your music, you can see that that's kind of how you are anyway. But, uh, you know, driving up today, I mentioned the weather. It's kind of a gloomy gray day outside. And you were talking about your father mentioning the Irish weather. And it's funny yeah, it's because proper Irish weather. Well, sure. Quinlan Sheridan, uh, you know, yeah. we, uh, we have. <laughs> that 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 genealogy that history that you know story and if you go back far enough this is my dad up here he passed away in 2018 but he was a school teacher he was in the uh, seminary to become a priest oh. and then his dad got sick and he left the to irish teach. path yeah. met my mom got married an alcoholic for the better part of his life but a brilliant man a beautiful <clears throat> man but just a very heavy heart heavy soul yeah. uh you know i i always joke about when other kids were talking to their dads about quarterbacks or whomever my dad was talking to me about Nietzsche and Camus and Kant and all this stuff so those were the conversations wow that I had with him as a as a kid so I definitely get the the not too heavy 
Well, the Irish weather, not just as a meteorological thing. Yeah, the Irish yeah. weather could be, you know, kind of a, a malaise that we <laughs> suffer in, you know, the born to lose kind of, you know, I don't know how. how yeah, you- I think there's something in the water there and then the the, uh, the environment there that gets, you know, in the, in the blood. Have you been? Yeah, once with my dad, but not long enough. It was all too short of a trip. It's, it's crazy. I, I, my wife took me in 2008. We went, she took me for St. Patty's Day, which was, oh, wow. it was the wow. best ever. And, uh, it was the best ever because they know how to do a St. Patty's Day there. It's not like here with everybody getting, you know, just, it's not the circus it is over here. They're, they're yeah, proper and they'll invite you just, home and make you dinner. And, yeah. but then we went right before COVID. She took me to Scotland and something about, it's palpable the history it's palpable the suffering it's palpable the the suffering yeah just death and you know hunger and just it's 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 crazy and it's funny you know what i was thinking about kind of putting all these thoughts together when i was thinking about you is you went to countryside high school you're from clearwater but you definitely have this kind of aura about you this air about you that you know i would it would make more sense if you were from ireland or scotland or from one of these other places well i take that as a compliment i I, yeah i went to a countryside safety harbor was kind of my florida hometown when i is that where you moved directly from texas no we uh no from texas uh my family kind of well my parents split up when i was just at seven and i went to minnesota and uh, my father uh, he was in uh, Air Force Intelligence, so he was trying to uh, retire, and it took some time. So uh, he wanted me to have some stability, so he set me up. Um, which, and what turned out to be a really good thing for me was with uh, my Uncle Jack and Aunt Betty. They just had that uh, that that just um, uh, solid American home. You know, my uncle built a house himself. You know, uh, the you know, my Aunt Betty was the you know the Betty Crocker homemaker, and you know they had. Uh, one son and daughter and they just wanted he wanted me to live in that kind of stable environment for a while so was a religion in the home when you were younger um yes mostly through my mom and my grandmothers yeah both um i which i i I have to admit even at a young age i kind of chafed against and then by the time i was 13 i was done with it but um yeah it was in the home was there was there music in the home um yeah um, mostly radio, my, my dad and my mom, uh, you know, old school country stuff. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the Rat Pack stuff, my dad was way into that, into Dean Martin and Sinatra. And, sure. And, uh, Joey, uh, what's the other one? I can't remember the name of now, but Joey, uh, oh, not Joey Bishop, but, uh, I was, that name came up when I was thinking of, uh, what's the other guy beyond the sea? Oh, the movie, Bobby uh, Bobby Darren. Bobby Darren, yeah, yeah. He was great. Um, but, uh, Ray Price, that, uh, Ray Price is one of my most, uh, one of my earliest formative musical memories because my dad had an eight track. Right. Of Ray Price that he just wore out. Until yeah. It just fell apart. <laughs> well, it probably gave you a sense of melody. Uh, <clears throat> Definitely. you know, lyricism. Uh, you know, they had that in spades back then. You know, the, the oh, yeah. singing and the words were kind of more upfront and the music kind of, you know, a, a canvas to paint it on. Whereas yeah. now I don't know in, in, in the, the, the world dynamic of music, if that's always true or even mostly true, but, yeah. um, 
Now, if a very little bit of homework that I've done on you, it seems as though you were somewhat of a latecomer to to picking up a guitar and playing. I was. Um, I mean, in the world kind of, of musicians. Of, uh, yeah, I uh, didn't really start writing seriously and performing until I was in my mid-20s. Which is interesting because, I mean, you know, most people come at it in some form or another much younger on. I saw that you played golf and kind of had these other interests. At yeah, the time. I was a bit of a jock yeah. for a while. <laughs> but did you were, you, were you a closeted artist? Like, did, did those uh, things appeal to you or did you know you had I'm that in you? I, I, I did. Ha- I discovered it early on. Uh, speaking of Safety Harbor and uh, Safety Harbor Middle, uh, I had an elective of my eighth grade year, to, <clears throat> which was guitar. Yeah, in the you know in the music uh, school, the, uh, and uh, so I I took that. Uh, my dad got me a little Yamaha classical, and you know I did it for a while. But I've always, especially when I was younger, I had a problem with uh, sticking with it. You know, I kind of would get easily distracted, and and I was kind of a lazy kid too. I <laughs> I was too I was too split too in too much in my own head. Sure, uh, in a sense, I wouldn't maybe lazy is not the right term. I was too distracted by my own. You know, daydreams and whims and whatnot. I think <clears throat> that would with my kids and, and also my experiences. If I'm not immediately good at something, then it's like I was. You know, my daughter got on a skateboard the other day and fell. I was like, you know, you don't just you're not just great at it right away. You got to right, kind right. of figure it out a little. Honestly, bit. Honestly, yeah, reluctant to admit, but I think that was part of it too. At, at a young age, it was you know, it was, if it was really difficult, I I would kind of shy away from it. But I, I started working intentionally on that when i got into my later teens you know did something happen that you can tie that change to like was there something that made you more looking for a way to kind of (laughs) put this out in the world was it yeah well it's i don't know if it's anything very profound maybe even comical the the actual truth that's fine too (laughs) yeah the actual truth i think is somewhat comic and maybe there's some uh, profundity in it um i was with my, my best friend uh still is my buddy tom he had just started going to FSU and uh, went up uh, about the middle of his first semester year to visit. And uh, he met all his friends up there and <clears throat> he fell into, uh, you know, the whole Grateful Dead scene with the cats up there. And there was just uh, acid and smoke and everywhere. And uh, I was like one of my, it was my first or second time, you know, partaking of mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the LSD. And we were at uh, his friend's house. It was winter and uh the power went out and cold as hell it was down in the 30s we built a fire in the fireplace and you know we're rolling pretty hard and after a while i just wound up sitting on the floor in front of the fireplace you know first to keep warm but then you know visually lost myself in the fire and then i came out of it and i i looked over and tom's sitting next to me doing the same thing and we had both been sitting there staring into the fire for about two hours and i looked at him and i said uh i'm gonna go home and start a band and uh that's where it that's where it started really well it's 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 there's an interesting history of people that you can go through and see it you know how those types of experiences maybe open them up to you know their chemistry working differently their synapses firing in a different order but uh the peter green Peter, I know, I know Sid, whatever from uh, Pink Floyd, but then I thought Peter Sid Green, Barrett, from, yeah. yeah, from Fleetwood Mac, had a similar situation. But I could be, I could be making both their stories the same. Yeah, well, there was someone that I forget who it was that said that uh, you know, without uh, 
alcohol and drug addiction and mental illness that we would have never had John Coltrane or Jimi Hendrix or, you know, any of those cats. You know. Well, it's, And I don't know if I fully agree with that, but I see where it all does kind of, uh, it's kind of part of the contributing. Well, for sure. So <laughs> do you know Gabe Echizabel? He writes I, for yeah, yeah, I know so Gabe. I've talked to him at length about, uh, you know, so my, my day job is I, I'm a divorce attorney. So I deal with a lot of broken families. I deal with a lot of, yeah. you know, yeah, with a lot of those sorts of things. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm always interested about music as a, a vehicle for, you know, removing yourself from a bad situation, even if you can't physically remove yourself from a bad situation. Yeah. Um, and you know, with my parents' alcoholism, the way I removed myself from it was to go into my room and listen to music. And, you know, I remember very clearly when music became more important to me than just whatever was on the radio and like what albums that I would turn to and what I would just listen to. And it was therapy. It was just this kind of cathartic thing to kind of turn off the outside world. And I think in a yeah. lot of ways it kind of set me up just, for, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just trying to remember that mentioning Gabe, yeah. <clears throat> One, I want to thank you for finally uh, helping me learn how to properly say his last oh, name. Oh, it took me a lot of practice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just right along, but right along the lines of what you're saying, <clears throat> there was a, a Gabe, you know, he has those great Facebook posts about, you know, artists and sometimes individual singles. And I forget, it was about, uh, I think it was a post about Elton John. And then it just brought back this memory about right when my family kind of blew apart when I was seven and moved to Minneapolis. And my aunt had already prepared this, you know, the bedroom the front bedroom of the house for me and it was all mine it was very nice and there was this little transistor radio there and i turned it on <clears throat> and uh, tuned to the first station i could hit which was the local minneapolis you know classic uh, station back at the time and there was there was an elton john song playing and that just that that's mem- a good that one memory good- was really vivid was, i can remember the uh, pattern on the the bedspread it's funny and, it's uh, funny how it your was, brain does that right yeah it's just all flooded back we uh we had this trip uh we had this you're gonna laugh at who i who i name check but we we, both my parents were school teachers so i you know i didn't fly in an airplane until i was probably in college you know any any i love a couple of my uncles were pilots i loved flying oh yeah Yeah. well i mean i've i've since kind of had this interesting relationship with flying but as a kid i'd never flew in a plane and we so we would but we would my dad was from albany new york so we would drive from St. Pete to Albany, New York. And I would sit in the back and back then it was tapes was the thing. And I remember there was a, it was a hairway to Steven by the butthole surfers. It was (laughs) out of time. REM. It was Uh, check your head by the beastie boys. And I think it was blood sugar, sex, magic, red hot chili pepper. And I listened to those tapes on repeat from Mm. St. Pete to Albany. And I can remember almost every aspect of that trip tied to a song yeah and, it's, and you'll have those flashbacks man, when you yes and i can like the smell in the car yeah. the the you know just random weird stuff but they kind of you know and it's it's funny i always wonder like what's back in there that we don't even know about you mentioned this experience you had with lsd and the fire like you know what what's floating around in our head that yeah. we don't even know about it's uh, always an adventure when those things bubble up uh, well for sure you know i you know so i uh you know talking about the irish weather and the darkness so i lost my my dad in 18 and my mom in 19 i was the only child very close to them the last 10 years of their life though they both had cirrhosis they both 
you know, battled with drink pretty heavily on top of chemotherapy and radiation. And, you know, when, when people get to a certain age, these doctors, they pass out pills, you know, they just, oh, here's some hydrocodone, here's some oxycotton, here's some whatever. So you go in their house and it's like a box of white wine, hydrocodone, all this other stuff. I was like, you guys are like fucking Keith Richards walking around (laughs) here. You're the most boring rock stars I know in my life. But, um, they become your children, you know, and, and yeah. they, you kind of, your relationship flips with them and it's like, I'm taking care of them now. And I have to like, yeah. you know, keep the scissors out of their reach and keep the medicine out of their reach. But <clears throat> with that, there is a point I'm getting to here with them passing. I became very aware of my own mortality and very aware of my own neuroses or whatever, you know, what's going to, what's going to end me. Is it going to be a heart attack? Is it going to be cancer? Is it going right. to be, any of these things. And, and so talking about what's buried away, I know you had some issues with your mom that, that you've talked about in articles and stuff, but I'm always worried about what's going to show up at some point in my life, psychologically, physiologically, something like that. Yeah. Along those lines, I, I have some, you know, hereditary, uh, you know, inheritances that I'm concerned about, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I, with my mother and father, I had the similar, a similar situation. I was, 10 years off and on with my mom and eight with my dad, you know, helping them or taking care of them toward the end. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of, I've kind of lost my, vocab- no, it's fine. lost my vocabulary. Well, the thing I, that, the thing that seems to have saved me <clears throat> or at least put, push pause on all of the, <laughs> on the spiral was, a uh, therapy was, has been very helpful. I do that once a week yes. and, uh, just, and what's great about therapy, and I say this all the time to friends, is the the answer never comes from the therapist. It always comes from me hearing myself say something, mm-hmm. and it clicks, and well, it's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Well, a good therapist is supposed to help you find your own answers. Right? Sure, yeah. pull it out of you. Yeah. But then the other thing was, is, as being an impatient person, I was like, this is great and all, but it's not working quick enough. And my my therapist is kind of conservative on the, the whole pill thing. And as I just described to you the history with my parents, I've always been reticent to have a crutch with with medicine but um yeah i finally uh got her to agree to send me to a psychiatrist that she works with and started taking then prozac or no then lexapro now prozac (coughs) and that was a game changer for me because Mm -hmm. i just every morning of my life i got up and i felt like I was guilty of something, but I couldn't figure out what I was guilty of. I felt I can relate to that. Yeah. A weight on my chest. Yeah. Anything good that happened, it was always, how is this going to end poorly? Or, you know, <laughs> or how poorly is this going to end? Yeah. And you almost thrive. <laughs> well, right. And you almost <laughs> thrive when things aren't going well. Cause it's like, okay, well, this is what I expected. So this is, this is real. If, if things are right. shitty, that's real. If things are good, it's not going to be good for that long. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I've, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, Monica Delgado. She made a post recently on Facebook about how she's decided to stop, you know, to cycle off of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something I think about cause it's been about three years now that I've been on it and, uh, I, I would like to get off of it, but the last three years have been such a, such a bright spot in my life compared to the, the, the 43 or 44 years that preceded it. And it's right. like, I don't ever want to go back to what that was so there's always kind right. of that you don't fear. Want to slip back into yeah the dark yeah. yeah i um so the pagan saints let's let's light get it to a different <laughs> we can go to the dark again we'll just go back and forth yeah um so teens 20s you start writing start playing uh 
now were you working at the time or working i mean what was um, what was <clears throat> well the uh all through that period was when i was spending a lot of time in texas taking care of my mom you know and in, in uh relation to everything you what you just mentioned kind of in a nutshell my my mother was bipolar um pretty serious and she was on uh, lithium and some others uh, medications for years and uh what you just mentioned about the you know uh, weaning yourself off to go back you know uh, it was something that i continually had you know had to watch my mother go through you know with living with uh she was stable but it was just this uh, dull gray continuing you know uh, blandness in her life and she would eventually go off and slip back into uh manic episodes that could get pretty hairy and uh, pretty uh pretty bad and was um, it just you that was <clears throat> handling it that you have other family there i mean i know um, you said i had um i had a couple cousins um uh, that uh, were a real help to me and an uncle other than that the rest of uh, uh, my my family her family out there were useless they were just uh well i don't want to go down that dark hole but sure sure <laughs> but it's such a weird very... it's such a weird paradigm shift though to, to be <clears throat> taking care of your parents you know it's such a yeah and it's a hell of a learning curve man i you know one of, a lot of what is uh, at the core of what i i find out i find after the fact that i'm writing about is still processing um I don't know. This is hard to explain in a way where I think it might make sense, but it's um, dealing with a kind of guilt, um, which for not having been able to do it better. Right. Um, you know, that, that, uh, you know, kind of lame old crutch, you know, I wish I could go back and do it again. And I would do it, you know, hindsight being 2020. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, but um, a lot of that is still informing I find out after the fact because I, not to shift on too too dra too drastically shift onto another aspect of the conversation, but um, I tend to never sit down with intention of writing something specific. I just write what comes out, and then I kind of shape it together. And then after a lot of the time, down the road a bit, I go, "Oh, that's what this is about." Yeah, and uh, I find that that's you know still bubbles up all of that. You know. Well, a couple things that you said there were big, big lessons that <clears throat> I had through therapy. One is, uh, yeah. is the, the guilt. You know, I, I, I was, I was complaining in the moment about deep, not deep being able to, like, not be able to fix the problem. Like, how do yeah. I make them not be alcoholics? How do I make them not? Right. You know, it was, it was just my, my mom would call me. It's like your dad fell through the bookcase and like cut up his arms with glass. And my dad was a big, I mean, bigger than I am. And so oh. even when he was older and kind of, you know, as you kind of wither in your age, he was still hard to get up off of a floor <laughs> and I would be angry at him. And I would just be like, yeah, that's one of the things that I struggle with a lot, a lot of regret where I would let the circumstances get, I would get angry and not, not, not at my mother and father, but at the circumstances sure. but you can't help but feel guilt because that circumstance is tied to your loved one and then you start to think well my god do i resent them right am i angry at them and then you struggle with that hellish cycle for years at least i have yeah and um yeah it's not not fun well the one thing <laughs> that the one thing that kind of resonated with me early was and, and it, it, it can come off as cavalier or maybe a little bit self-centered but you're not, you know, you're not your mom's parent. You're not your mom's spouse. You're not, you know, you're her son. And so 
you know, you're doing the best you can. And, and like, you know, the thing that the therapist was saying to me was, you know, this isn't really your responsibility. Like not, not don't help, not don't love them, but you can't take this all on yourself and make, you know, yourself responsible for all this. And so it, it gave me a little bit of a boundary there to say, you know, I'm going to do everything I can, but I'm not going to feel, I'm not going to beat myself up if I can't do all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was the one thing and not again, my story and your story, I'm not making them the same, but you know, learning to somehow protect my, my psyche from what they were going through and understanding that, you know, that, that it wasn't all within my control. Yeah. Then the other thing is time, you know, you mentioned about writing your lyrics down and then coming back to them later. And it's funny how much that has become something that I've focused on recently is, is not knowing the answer to something in the moment, just mm-hmm. giving it time and coming yeah. back to it. How really that, that, that can, comes with time. Yeah. You look kind of learn that over time. Yeah. I think that might be a part of getting older too. Like, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Whatever they call wisdom. Yeah. Um, so pagan saints, uh, what was the genesis of that band? I mean, um, was, was that your first kind of, yeah, that was the first, well, actually before that, um, you know, when I came back from the, LSD fireplace. Um, I uh, I started going to open mics in Saint. I lived in Saint Pete at the time and just got into the, got to know cats that played there. And then uh, we just go out to shows and you know kind of uh, worked my way into uh, some friendships with you know, guys in local bands and uh, you know, who were very gracious to me uh, when they when I you know let them know that I was a writer you know an aspiring writer and singer and. And, uh, they were really, uh, I've been very fortunate that way. A lot of people have been very good to me, giving me a leg up or just listening to me. I mean, going way back to guys that, um, you know, the Vesemar brothers from Men from Earth, uh, uh, Steve Connolly and all the guys, Kevin Todd and Steve uh, Robinson in the headlights, um, Casey and Stevie and, 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 uh, Ricky Wilcox and Dolores Telescope. Those were the bands at the time. Where were you living and, in St. Pete? <clears throat> uh, just off of, um, north and south it's uh fourth it was fourth kinda, street nine, around 25th 26th between fourth and ninth it was um oh so like near woodlawn uh yeah behind the really cool old uh bank building yeah we yeah, used the, to climb the stone that. the stone it's a leaning yeah, it's, it's yeah. like a upside down funnel yeah it's a really cool building i so i grew up right down the street i really? grew up in woodlawn yeah. and we would skate da- skate yeah woodlawn and, okay we would skateboard in that parking lot and then we would you know <clears> at night try and climb the building because every I, couple stones would be jutting out right, you right. kind of like rock climb on it yeah no, i was just maybe a block and a half behind that building and on a you know mother-in-law apartment off an alley we back in there. Lived right lived right yeah we were neighbors. Probably, yeah what years would have, would have this been uh this was the early 90s okay so i was yeah i was at st pete high i was living just down the street from yeah <laughs> so what were the I, I mean i remember you know janice back then and yeah um club detroit know, man club detroit even same place did you ever did you ever go to a show at uh Fun Junction Pizza? Junction Pizza, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, play, I think we played there once. That was where all the like punk bands would go, all yeah, the, like straight I edge. did play there once way back. Um yeah. yeah. I always I always <clears> laugh about <throat> that place because that's like a you have to live there to kind of know about Junction Pizza yeah. as a as far as a music venue goes. Um so in in forming a band, it's it, you know, as I perceive you now i i would be very interested to know i mean because you guys were in that band for a good decade weren't you well um real quick to give the sure. the genealogy i guess before that so i started going to open mics and met all these guys and then uh 
got really close with Kevin Todd, the drummer for the headlights. And he and I first started a little thing called, uh, the odd fellows. Okay. And we were trying to do like just Celtic folk. And I was at that time I was writing, I was a little all over the map, but I came, uh, kind of focused in on this more Celtic folk stuff with a bit of what's now called Americana, uh-huh. um, bent, t- uh, to it. <clears throat> so he and I uh, played for a bit and then we, uh, I had this, urge to uh just change the name to the pagans mm-hmm. now we did that and we had one gig at the old buffalo roadhouse in tampa and uh then i got a i, a, I actually got a letter in the mail from a law firm <laughs> representing a punk band from thailand called the pagans and they said no more and i just i uh, i'd like to say i still have that letter somewhere but it's probably in a box i just sent one of those letters recently uh, yeah <laughs> well uh so then um, actually, uh, remembering uh, a little more clearly now that that gig that I mentioned at the Buffalo Roadhouse was the like the the day after I received that letter, uh-huh. and I hadn't seen Kevin till that evening as we when we met at the gig, and I came up to him and I gave handed him the letter, kind of s- smiling, and he read it and started laughing, and I remember they had one of those. <clears throat> You know, the grease pen, chalkboard, uh, billboard kind of thing uh-huh. that you write yeah. uh, all the dates and the events coming up and the different colors and the neon, black light, whatever, it glows. Lights it up, yeah. So we went and we smeared out the pay, or no, just wrote. And, he, and he's like, well, what the fuck are we going to call ourselves now? And he's from Northern England. So he's like, what the fuck are we going to call ourselves now, brother? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, I don't know. Uh, how about... Uh, I don't want, I'm not giving up Pagan. I want, I'm going to keep that. I want that to be part of the name. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I just looked at him and I went Pagan Saints. And he goes, write it on the fucking board. <laughs> and, I, and I just smeared out or didn't, sm- I, uh, yeah, just wrote, smeared out the, the, yeah, yeah. and then just wrote, uh, Saints after, and then scratched, smeared out the S. So it was Pagan Saints. That was it. It was born at that gig. An improvement, and then, one might argue. Yeah. I, I always thought it was so clever. I did too, for sure. <laughs> is this spiritual, intellectual contradiction in pagan saints? You know, I thought it was so clever. Well, plus, you got a good story funny. behind it. That was a decent story, yeah. yeah. And it, actually, I hadn't thought of that in years. I just came back. So, how many, how many, what was the makeup of the band? Like, well, then was, <clears throat> of course, just Kevin and myself. Um, I, you know, he played just a trap kit, brushes, and some percussion, and I played acoustic. And then, um, through um, friends of friends, through the men from Earth Circle, um, got into, first lineup with uh i think billy wells their bass player sat in with us for a bit and a couple other guys and then it came around uh after about a year to at least the core rhythm section with paul morose on drums and then uh chris lunsford on bass that uh kind of and then uh let's see well then uh there was a great little punk band around at the time that uh if you know Susie Ulrey. Yeah. Uh Susie and Keith. She was in with uh this girl Joel Barrios, who was uh, about I think seventeen at the time. And uh another well actually I need to back up a bit. There were several iterations of Pagan Saints, you know, that was a rotating cast. Sure. And again, I want to go back to where what I mentioned earlier about how fortunate I've been over the years for people you know, with people that gave their time and energy and efforts and still am to this day. Uh, to play this music and to play with me and uh, to put up with me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But uh, they would, um, Susie and Joel and a bunch of their friends in the and that were just in the, you know, the really um, 
embryonic punk scene, or at least they were in their embryonic stages of their punk journey, like in their first bands, they would come and see us because uh, Karen Collins, it was a great, uh, and another great local band called Monday Mornings back then. I, I, uh, I think I remember, they were, yeah. they were amazing. Yeah. Fred Stoll's still kicking around. Mike O'Neill, unfortunately, passed uh, several years ago, but Karen played with us for a while, <clears throat> and uh, they would come see us, and uh, then uh, got to know Joelle, and she just, when she heard that our, uh, Karen was leaving, she called me and said, I want to be your bass player. And then Joelle and Paul and myself uh, became one of the longer uh, iterations. iterations. Uh, but before Joelle also was Chris. Uh, and uh, But yeah, um babbling on too long here. But uh, the, the tenure of Pagan Saints really was from, that it kind of solidified then around 93. And then we kept uh, that, uh, it kind of imploded in 2003. That was, Did you- did you find it difficult to be in a band? I mean, <clears throat> you know, having to kind of vote, have somewhat of a democracy, have, you know. Um, not really. Um, I've been, again, uh, I don't want to, no, it's just, it is uh, the simple truth of it all. I, I, again, was very fortunate with people that, and I think I can't claim that it was any uh, conscious and, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Any kind of, uh, intelligent, well, design. well thought yeah. out professional intent on my part, because I didn't know what that was at the time. But, uh, everyone came into the band under kind of knowing that this is Quinlan's band. These are his songs and we're playing, we're, we're a band, but we're also playing well songs. I was very fortunate in the sense that people got that. Well, this is a very mature and, and responsible. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, again, where I was blessed is with people that got that. They would, you know, I it's played like a marriage. I, it's I like, played, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I played solo a lot, and they would come out, and I get to know them. And I was again very f flattered and fortunate where people, these cats, would come up to me and say, you know, if you need someone, if you need a drummer, you need a bass player, you need a guitar player, whatever, you know, I'd like to, I'd be happy to help you out. And uh, and then they, you know, they came into the band kind of understanding that dynamic that it was kind of a benevolent dictatorship <laughs> well and, and like, arguably that's um, kind of how it's got to be I would yeah guess. And I, I can only say that maybe in all those all these years there have been two instances maybe three where uh there was any headbutting with anyone in the band where it was uh some had the dynamics of a power struggle so sure i never really had that problem the people have always been very generous to me in that regard and again i was i've, I've been very fortunate and i and it um I'd like to think that I, I, it took me a bit, but I learned that I learned to appreciate that pretty quickly. I think, um, it didn't always show because I was a drunken mess all of those years. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, I did always appreciate it. So, uh, for anyone who hears this that did play with me back then and didn't hear the, didn't get the thank you, I, it was always on the edge of my mind. And my Do you ever listen to it anymore or no? Pagan Saint stuff? Yeah. Um, once in a while. Yeah. To bring you back, does it give you kind of those those cues, those auditory cues to kind of like, oh, I remember we were here at the time, or we yeah, were, you know? a lot of that, yeah, the memories come back, just like you mentioned earlier about it triggering like a sense of smell. Yeah, you know, it just triggers a really vivid memory. It comes out of nowhere. How many albums yeah. did Pagan Saints do? Two, um, and toured fire. quite a bit, or at least played played live quite a bit, if not toured quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, they were toured a bit, not nearly as much as I would have liked, but um. That's where the family situation got in the way a lot. Sure. And I, I'm reluctant to say that because I don't want it to seem like um, I'm Blaming citing them. those circumstances yeah. as some kind of 
hindrance to my career. You know, a lot of that was all in my own hands. Uh, but so, so when that ends, what would ha- What's the next stage? Um, after Pagan Saint? Yes. Yeah. That's uh that was kind of a, that was a difficult one. Um, were you, we, were you still drinking when they ended? Oh yeah. I was, I quit drinking just over a year ago. So I've, oh, okay. I've been drinking since I was 12. Okay. And, uh, I don't, don't need to go into that. I no, that's, mean, that's kind of, uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> boring and indulgent, but, uh, um, well, but it is a, a contributing factor to everything. Uh, it, it definitely shaped my, has shaped my whole life. Sure. Know, and, uh, and the art and the music. Uh, but, um, after Pagan Saints, uh, the, the ending of Pagan Saints was really kind of a tragic thing in the sense that, uh, the time we were a four piece and, uh, we had got to a point where we all felt as a band we were having some trouble with one of the members and then we we had a meeting one night the three of us at the hub and it came to the consensus that we're all in agreement that i had to go to the other band member and say like we're done and uh that must have been tough it was had you ever had to do that before um yeah but it, it had never been hard when i did have to do it before it was easy because it was just obvious or, or i was angry and was just like look we're done right you know fuck off yeah um and i would rarely <laughs> get that harsh but uh, it did happen a time or two but this was tough because this bandmate was like a brother to me and uh and actually it also coincided with um our going out to play south by southwest that year in, oh, wow. in 03 and uh the, this person and another bandmate couldn't make it happen with their schedule because they both worked full time and the guitar player and I were able to do it. So the two of us went out there and played and it was actually, uh, for the BAMO group affiliated with WMNF. Um, <clears throat> and we played, uh, and, uh, well, anyway, long story short, you know, we wandered through Austin for that whole weekend and I went and saw so many great bands and I was watching Bobby Bear Jr.'s band upstairs at this one club uh downtown austin and uh as a quick fun aside he did <laughs> he had this five-piece uh mariachi uh, horn section playing with him oh wow and they did this slow semi-western swing version of come on feel the noise oh with, wow with the mexican horns and it just blew my mind and uh anyway i was be watching like my mom coming home or something like yeah, that. <laughs> right well we uh, yeah it's yeah. funny you mentioned that because we've were you there yes when, uh, okay so melissa, I melissa, melissa and i and john nowicki like an hey, it was yeah. that and the southern accents who the guy that i was with he started crying uh, when you did southern accents and then when you did ozzy i was like yeah Holy. southern accent is just one of my touchstone songs yeah it's just but um Watching Bobby Bear Jr. in the band, and not just that band, but the whole the whole vibe of Austin at the time and South by Southwest, and watching these bands that were national touring acts that you, they were having a blast and having fun and they were drinking, but they were pros too. Yeah. They, they were doing it right, and, and I was, you know, immediately I reflect on well, what am I doing? What's my band doing? And we weren't anywhere near them. And uh, the fact that I felt, or the fact that I was standing there at South by Southwest, I felt like kind of a bit like a fraud, you know, just like I don't deserve to be here. And, uh, so the, <clears throat> that's when I went back and then we had the situation with the band member and my efforts at the time were, um, kind of tied to that experience I had in Austin where I, I, I've got to be better at, uh, trying to be a professional at this. Right. I, I, I I'm too, I got to fight the, excuse me, 
<clears throat> the the indulgent demons, you know, that I have related to sure. you know drinking and other controlled substances, and so I, I I was trying to do that, and you know I felt that well part of that is you know I'm the leader of the band, I'm I got to be the guy that cuts the, the you know he takes the sword and cuts the guy's head off, you know I don't delegate that to someone else, um, so I did it and it was really bad, or you know I wasn't bad at. It was just really painful. It was literally ending a 10-year relationship artistically. And sure. It was, uh, what I could imagine at the time of my life, because I had never been in any really serious relationship, it was something what I could equate to uh, or would equate to perhaps, you know, a divorce yeah. you know, for, for me in a sense. And we tried to continue on. We stumbled on through the rest of that year. That was so uh, South by South. This was March of 03. Um, we tried, we got a couple of different drummers in one didn't, the first one didn't work out. We did then I brought another one in that worked out for a while. And then we got the, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, the Southeastern music conference mm -hmm. that we used to have back then. <clears throat> we played the state theater that year. And then out, and now this is October and we had a bunch of good rehearsals with the new drummer. Things were going well. We get on stage. We had a great set that night and we were playing a new song and something in me just clicked. And I looked out of the room in the middle of this song and went, and then looked, you know, around on the stage and went, this is the last set this band's ever going to play. And it wasn't a conscious thought. It was a feeling. You just arrived there. I just had come there and I had <clears throat> wished I had reached that point. Or it was kind of an understanding of what the dynamics were of the, of where I was at and where I wanted the music to go and, and what the circumstances were, uh, but I couldn't put it together back in March, which I wish I had. Yeah. Rather than put the the painful weight of being cut from a band on this person who was a great person, a great friend, I wish I could had been able to figure it out sooner that this is what I, you know, I, I felt it in Austin. That was part of what I felt like that my current band is over, but I, I couldn't put those words into any kind of conscious understanding in my head. Right. Until six months later when I was standing on the stage and it just came out of nowhere. And then I went out and then I got done. I walked off stage, packed my stuff up and left and everybody's going, what, what, where'd Will go? Yeah. I didn't know what else to do. And it took about a week for me to process and then start talking to the guys going, Hey, uh, it's over. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of the second stage of putting that one to bed, so to speak, or right. in, in the coffin, whatever. Do you uh, talk to any of those people anymore? Or? Yeah. 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 So you were able to survive it with them in some, some way, shape or form. Yeah. There was really, and when it came to that, there was no acrimony. There was, well, that's good. Um, <clears throat> uh, everyone just kind of, cause I took my time, you know, to, before I talked to them about it, I, I sat and I thought about it a lot and kind of really processed it. Well, if you knew that that wasn't what you wanted anymore, <clears throat> did you have a clear idea at that point what you did want? No, or? I didn't. I was I was fucking lost. That makes it tougher, was, you know, when uh, you're yeah. kind of. Well, I realized. I'm sorry. I don't no, know, okay. please. I, I realized uh, just to go back quickly to that thing I mentioned about the time span, wishing that I had figured it out back in March of that year rather than uh, six months later. Six months later, is that um, it took me that long to 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 uh interpret everything the, the emotions and the psychology of it and realize that yeah this is done and i, I oh what, what i really meant to say there was that i didn't want to accept i know that part of that that uh length of time there the the delay so to speak was me 
almost on a subconscious level, not wanting to acknowledge it, or actually a, <clears throat> a conscious level, not wanting to acknowledge the subconscious imperative that was screaming at me. You're I just describing, didn't you're describing most divorces. I didn't want to look at for it. Sure. Yeah. I didn't want to look at it. I yeah. didn't want to listen to it because it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. And I, I didn't, all I had was this band for 10 years. It kept me sane. You know, when I had to go to Texas and went through, you know, what I went through out there, I, I would always have this good thing to come back to. Sure. It literally saved my life so many times. And the people in those bands. And again, I come back to, you know, I was pretty messed up back then. And I, I regret that I probably didn't tell those people how much their being in the band and being a part of all of it meant to me back then. Right. And how it, how it literally did contribute to saving me. Sounds like they were um, your family. I mean, you know, to a great part. Yeah. They yeah. Were, they were. Well, you are, you are by no means a rash person. It seems to me you, you agonize almost to a hair suit degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You haven't seen me when I'm 10 in whiskey drunk. Okay. And, uh, but no, well, in general, yeah, but that's, that's, that's not you. That's no, a that's not. You. No, that's, that's one of the demons get take control. But, right. Uh, no, I'm generally not rash. So that's over and you're kind of, you're untethered and figuring out what is, what happens next. I mean, I haven't talked too much about were you, how much of a music fan are you? Like, are you listening a lot when you're not playing and writing or? Cause some people are, you know, my buddy, uh, my buddy Greg, who he's, uh, he sings and writes for uh, Wolfface, where they all dress up like, uh, yeah, I know know Wolfface. These guys are great. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny, like he does listen to music, but he's been listening to like the same album for the past five years. <laughs> just like, <I'll- laughs> well, I go through phases where I'm, yeah, where I actually don't listen as much as I'd like to, but, uh, yeah, I generally, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. You're good. I, well, I'm just interested though, like, because <clears throat> if you started in the early nineties, I'm, 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 I'm reaching a little bit of, about my uncle Tupelo history, but yeah. that was, that was right around that. I mean, cause the music that you've kind of, cultivated and found yourself in was a music that a lot of ways they're considered one of the early adapters of that but that's happening right when you're doing it that was um one of their first record no depression was one of the three main you know uh, epochs of in in my life as it relates to albums but has uh, there always there been may, kind of the folk americana you know um, has that always been the the main thrust or yeah from the uh, because well, I'll, yeah, to explain that, I'll mention those three records. The first one was Jackson Brown's first record. And then that turned into his first four records. Uh, he was, he along with Neil Young's acoustic stuff, his folky stuff were, were like my touchstones, my, as far as what, uh, helped shape my, uh, I don't know, way, your- way of writing my sure. process. You know, I learned a lot of what I, amazing things, uh, as well known and as popular and as successful as Jackson's been, I don't think people appreciate how, what an amazing phraser he is. His, his phrasing is uh, just, you know, beyond uh, compare uh, or reproach in any way. It's just, uh, and I learned a lot from that. There, there is a lot. But, um, if, just to interject, interject a little bit. I started working on singing this year. I started mm-hmm. taking lessons and writing lyrics and working with the band and all this other stuff. And I had always equated singing as the like the the punter for a football team or something. I always thought that was that that was the one with no talent. Maybe maybe <laughs> no. they could sound good, but they you know the guys that are playing the instruments those are hard. And then when I started trying to do it and started trying to write and started trying to write in a way that it didn't sound hack and it didn't sound you know, whatever. And then the phrasing and all this other stuff was like, this is the hardest thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. To (laughs) me, phrasing is almost key, uh, almost above lyrics in the sense that, uh, 
you can have a good lyric and and very uh, how to put it good phrasing can make it come across as great lyric. It's almost or, a third. Or, or the same with a melody. Um, yeah. Well, it's melody phrasing and melody and lyrics, and then people tend to overlook phrasing. How you you know drop those syllables and split them up within the melody, and it's to me. I learned that that's kind of a triumvirate. That's the triangle of, you know. It's you mentioned Elton John and you mentioned Jackson yeah. Brown. And these are people that almost have this supernatural mm. understanding. You know, anytime you get into like, uh, who's the wall of sound guy? Um, uh, Phil Spector. Yeah, yeah. Not equating him to these other people, but they have, they can almost see music in the air. They can almost yeah. kind of hear it differently than the re- Brian uh, from the Beach Boys. Wilson. Yeah, like all these different people, yeah. they kind of have this almost, they're almost like on a spectrum where they kind of are hearing Definitely. it in a different yeah. way than there's the rest a, of us. There's a different level there. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, Uncle Tupelo, Jackson Brown, yeah, so Neil Young. Those three records I mentioned were, you know, Jackson Brown's first record, but that's uh, <laughs> kind of sub addendum to that or sub attached to that are his first four records. But um, And um, Neil Young's Live Rust. Uh, discovered. I mean, I'd heard Neil Young on the radio and was a fan, but I didn't. I didn't really hadn't heard much of the 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 heavy stuff. And I was, uh, I think I was fifteen. We just, you know, when cable, we just gotten cable, and I was sitting on the edge of my bed one night, and uh, the show Night Flight. Oh yeah, remember that show? It's For still sure. around uh, uh, on the web. But uh, so I'm sitting there channel surfing, and I come across this. Okay, there's a concert. And it's a live concert, and there's this guy stomping around on stage with a twelve-string guitar and a harmonica in front of these big fake, um, you know, giant Fender tweed amps mm-hmm. uh, constructs. And I was just sat there riveted. And then they were playing the movie, live, the, the concert film live for us. I went out the next day and bought the record, and that was it. That was it. No and looking back. Just I saw the perfect balance between that sweet country folky acoustic Americana thing, and then just just hard amps turned all out to dimes and just you know blasting some of the most amazing guitar rock ever well so he's he's maybe the fourth the fourth corner of the triangle maybe that'll be the the episode (laughs) title but is the heart you know the melody phrasing the writing but the fire in the belly like he's got that gas in the tank that's a lot that i when Sorry, I didn't mean to no, enter, please. but where the, uh, the con, if you know the album and the concert film, that, so the first half is him acoustic and the whole concept is that he's a little kid dreaming that he's a rock star. And, and then like there's the great line in, the, in Sugar Mountain where he goes, when I get big, I'm going to get electric guitar. And then, <laughs> then the second, then the lights go down and they come out and Crazy Horse comes out and they just blow it up. And right. That just literally, it didn't just blow my mind. It, it reached inside me and just grabbed me and shook me like nothing had. Yeah, at this that ferocity and but that like a beautiful ferocity. It just it's not just about being loud and and aggressive. There was a lot of still what I've always loved about Neil and what I'd like hope to think has informed me in a good way to, as to how I write. Within that aggressiveness, there's still a beautiful melodies that are just you're dumping a lot of volume on it and a lot of passion, which can come across as ferocity in a good way. Sure, and that's something I learned right away with. With, that I related to right away because it just reached in and it touched this thing in me that that uh, just resonated instantly. Well, you 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 also happen to have a great <clears throat> voice, and, and and it's funny talking about Neil Young, talking about Bob Dylan. I, I'm a big Dinosaur Junior fan, so I'm always talking oh, about right. Jay Maskus, who's a huge Neil Young fan. Oh yeah, <laughs> but 
as I'm doing these lessons, working with these people, trying to, it's funny because I, I always joke with my friends that I'm the most trained singer that they've ever met in their life and I've never played with anybody. But, you know, I always circle back to it's like, well, what does Jay Maskus sound like? What does Neil Young sound like? And, you know, it's not so much about how you sound. It's about, I, I forget who was that said this to me, but I'd be interested in your point of view is, are you being honest with who's listening to you? Yeah. Are you, yeah. are you honestly, conveying an emotion or honestly telling a story because if you're not if you're doing it because you think it's cool or you know whatever they can figure that out pretty early on and and, and exactly people it, can see through that and, yeah and, and they can hear through it but then then it. i think of springsteen who's kind of <clears> like <throat> this weird outlier because he can have the ferocity he can have the mm. sound but then you go through him within like 90 percent of the songs are all fiction you know yeah well he's a good writer in that yeah. sense I yeah and that's he's a, i mean I think Springsteen's a, a, one of the great American poets. I mean, he transcends the, the genre, transcends the idiom of uh, music in that sense. I think a great writer, just like Dylan, of course, but but uh, Jackson too, one of the best writers, like like American poetry. I'm gonna have to go um, and listen to some Jackson Brown. Listen to those first four records. I, I mean, I, I know it's what is it about the first four records? Uh, first well, four there was Black a, Sabbath there was records. A, um, yeah, first four yeah, ZZ Top records. About, well, that's, maybe that's the fourth corner of the triangle. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're stepping out of three dimensions into four dimensions. Yeah, maybe that's we're it. transcending time, and, yeah, <laughs> space and time. space time in here. Um, yeah, the. Uh, the first four Jackson. Yeah, the first four Jackson Brown. Because they had a, there was um there was an aesthetic there that was continuing and growing. You know, I've always admired people, and Neil Young is one who did it, who could could be chameleons, you know, different from. Oh my record god, it was the disco album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the trans, yeah. the electronic, the electronic, <laughs> but uh, the rockabilly record, and but and I admire that. But it, I've always resonated more with you know you have a certain vein that you mine or just uh, you, well you mentioned honesty. It's uh, what you're honest. Uh, what your true uh, arti personal artistic resonance is. The frequency maybe is uh, what I'm trying, you know, you have a certain frequency that you resonate at and you pursue that and just try and get better at it. And those first four records, uh, to me, were a perfect example of that. They just, the maturity of the way the writing progressed, um, not to say that the writing wasn't just fully formed and brilliant on the first record. Um, listen to any of those songs. Sure. Um, and but by the time he got through late for the sky they just inducted him into the, what that record was put in the national congressional uh records of something right like the cultural record or something yeah. of the national congressional uh is it museum or no anyway i know what you're talking that, about but it it, it 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 culminates those four records culminate with arguably the best record late for the sky i'd say actually listen to that maybe before, I'll start with uh, that one and go backwards, uh, and maybe go back to the first one then, okay. or wh whichever. But I mean, I've always had a uh, relationship <laughs> and a knowledge of Jackson Brown, but it's running on empty or whatever, you know, like whatever the which is a great record, yeah. Too, and the yeah, concept of that was brilliant. But I don't, I don't think I've ever sat with them and, and gone all the way yeah, through it. So yeah, I, 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 I did those first four records. But the real quick to go back to the three I mentioned, there was you know Jackson, Neil, and then. 8990 was when I discovered uh, Uncle Tupelo kind of by accident. And it's kind of an interesting story if, um, if you'll indulge me. I, I, that's why we're here. I'm here, uh, here to hear your interesting stories. Well, it's, uh, I was, so again, I was in Texas and uh, was out there this time for almost a year. Uh, it was a, uh, mom had a real rough time. And anyway, uh, there was this great record store right by the uh, San Antonio College downtown. 
or near downtown. It was called Hog Wild Records. I <laughs> think it's still there. It's a cool old building on a corner, really old building. It'd been, you know, built in the twenties, I think. And it was known mostly for being a, a punk store, you know, but they had, you know, other stuff, you know, they, they had, um, some mainstream stuff and just, uh, it was pretty, actually it was a pretty, uh, diverse selection of stuff. But anyway, I'm in there one day going through the vinyl bins and I come across this record and it looks really familiar. The, the layout of it looks familiar. I don't, so it's Uncle Tupelo, no depression. I have no idea what this is. So it's got the three of them in the cover with it's black just and white? It's the smeared black and white, the kind of slightly out of focus yeah. black and white. And I look at it and I'm like, why is this so familiar? And I flip it over. And I look at all the song titles, the instrumentation. I go, well, I probably like this. So I'm, I just tuck, tucked it under my arm and yeah. you know, got a few others and bought it and went about, uh, went back home. And at the time, my mother's stereo was broken. <laughs> and um, my cousin, who I'd mentioned earlier, was one of the, uh, was a real great help to me all the time I was out there. My cousin, Mike, um, he was out of town, so I couldn't, you know, use go over. He had a great stereo system, uh, real audio, 70s audio. audio file, you know, he was about 10 years older than me. He was just had all the cool stuff. He had clips, loudspeakers that were back you know, then. That shit was big. <laughs> they were huge. No, they were about four feet tall and about, they were about four foot square. Yeah. Anyway, I uh, couldn't get to his system. So basically, I was there for another month and that album just sat there. But then I started reading. I would read the Austin Chronicle and Rolling Stone and Spin, I think was that, or not Spin was out then. Anyway, reading all these great reviews and, and stuff like Husker Do. Husker Do. Husker Do meets uh, Leonard Skinner. Uh huh. Uh, started to mash those up there. Um, but, uh, I'm like, what? That sounds insane. That sounds brilliant. So, and then at the time, before I had gone to Texas, I had started working at a record store, Bananas in St. Pete. Oh, for sure. And that's when I lived at the at the which one, which which the which original location one on, on way out on uh, 60, West Ninth. Yeah, out by way out. I was I almost got I almost died into Seminole. I almost oh. died driving to Bananas to to trade in tapes. I remember yeah, I was probably working there when you came in one time. It was the one that was on Sixty Sixth Street. There was like a TJ Maxx there or something. It was in a strip mall. It was. It was probably where 66th hits 9th. Yeah. It was the, the mall faced out to 9th. Yeah. 9th Avenue or Street Avenue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that was the store. That was the location I worked. But, and I uh, got, I got, I got, um, Pure Guava, Godween Satan, and the Pod. Does I remember <laughs> what tapes I got during that trip to the, right? to the Bananas. It was a great store. It was, yeah. But, um, but to come, when I came back from, uh, came home and I unpacked my stuff and, my roommate Jim, uh, Jim Hood, a great cat. He was like the we called him the Pope of St. Pete. He was just this ma- this Bukowski esque, uh, you know, Cohen esque, just you know, kind of one of those guys that was just a effortless genius. But he just was, uh, you know, he was Irish. You know, we talked about the darkness earlier. It, uh, but anyway, uh, he was a huge audiophile. He, he anything on vinyl, he knew it. And he worked. At, he was like the guy at the record store. Just knew everything. Right. And uh, people would come in with their collections from their parents' estate, and he would go through everything. And he was the one that would, you know, this is good, this is this shit. is good, this is shit, this <laughs> is worth. Okay, listen, here's this is worth five hundred dollars, you know, and so on. Anyway, um, he had this amazing record collection and uh, and a good stereo. Yeah, <laughs> and I was really looking forward to listening to the record, and then <clears throat> set the record out. I had no sooner set it on the floor as he leapt up from his chair. Almost ran across the room, grabbed it, and looked at it and go, where the hell did you get this? Oh, I thought you were stepped on it and broke it. <laughs> no, where the hell did you get this? And I said, uh, I got it, you know, this record store out in San Antonio. 
And uh, he goes, I've been trying to get this through one stop and back. It's all on back order. Nobody can get it. And um, I said, well, let's, let's so, we, spin, yeah. so we smoked up a bit. And it's back when I used to smoke a bit and sat there and listened to that thing both sides for about three hours until we both just passed out. Yeah. And then I, I remember waking up with the. The record, the, the tone arm was broken, so it wouldn't return. It was just sitting there going, chink, chink, yeah. chink, and uh, yeah, that was it. Kind of uh, like staring into the fireplace. It was a it, yeah. It was another one of those moments where works. we just I, yeah sat there literally on the floor with my back against the couch, you know, and a beer, and he and I sharing smoke and just listening to the record and looking at each other and just we didn't really talk much. We just listened to it and we play it again and we flip it over yeah. and play it again. Let's play it. You want to play it again? Yeah, play it again. <laughs> literally three hours, and then we both passed out on the floor. But um, yeah, that record was. Those moments are brilliant. It's funny. Record. I've always had this weird thing with Uncle Tupelo, and and I don't know the time difference between the two of them. But for some reason, when I listened to them the first time, I heard the Minutemen a lot. Oh, they and, were huge fans of Minutemen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and yeah. the Minutemen are kind of this weird because outlier in the punk world. Well, D Boone is in Minutemen, right? Yeah. Um, this the song on the second record, or is it the first? Record? It is an on no depression. The song D Boone. Yeah. You know, so. But they have that kind yeah. of weird country way, you know, a country punk thing going on there, yeah. and there wasn't even if, really a name for it. Yeah, and they kind of coined it, you know, alt country, alternative, which I always hated, but alt country became the thing, and then that they created the new, literally created the new, you know, or what what became the new Americana wave uh, in the early and in into the mid '90s and on into today. And it's but, so um, funny too, uh, you know, I I don't even know how to like break this down or explain it, but country, the 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 label of country in my mind suggests a lot of not good things or things that i don't yeah you know uh, lifestyle values whatever you know it's, and it's it's unfair because as you kind of go back you know everybody says i like a country before the 80s or whatever you know mm -hmm. the, the, the 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 forefathers the mountain well, there's something to be said that's when it became nashville pop yeah but uh and but it's still funny. a lot of good stuff being made Oh, for sure. But it, it, it really, and during my college years and on, you know, I call it Walmart country or Kmart <laughs> country. And it's just, yeah. you know, it, 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 I, I just hear it and it, and it's, it, it celebrates the worst a aspects of yeah. American culture. And it just bums me out in such a big way. But as alt country came out, you know, I would listen to Whiskey Town and I'd listen to uh, Whiskey Town, yeah, you know, Strangers Almanac. Yeah. And, uh, I still have just such a weird heartburn over Ryan Adams. He's just yeah, a, that's tough. one of these guys that it's, it's well, like same. You could say anything with Phil Spector. Uh, you know, you know a lot of great talents. Well, Woody yeah, and, and this is, you know, it's funny. I I say this all the time, but I've, I'm the only person who's been in every one of these podcasts, so I hear myself say the same thing a million times, <laughs> and so I half think that people who are listening to this episode may have heard, and this was probably the only one that they've ever listened to. But you know. Our idols, whether it's Bowie or the Beatles or any of these people, if smartphones and Facebook and all these things were around back then, they would not have had the longevity of career that they had because they yeah. were able to be kind of vile in, in, in behind closed doors. And 
Well, yeah, along that bent, uh, I was just listening to uh, one of the episodes of Cocaine and Rhinestones. Uh-huh. Do you read and listen oh, to that? Oh, sure, for sure, yeah. The one about George Jones yeah. and the darkest period of his career. And and the, the mentioning, it's that period, the late 70s into the 80s, where he started to lose Mark, or, you know, his, his albums weren't selling. And then and at Nashville, the powers that be in Nashville started to turn to this younger, uh, you know, upcoming crop of song, singer-songwriters, and they invested in a kind of a paradigm shift with um, – con- um, concept you know and, and they didn't want all this sad weepy heartbreaky shit they wanted upbeat fun rock and stuff right. and that kind of helped kill george's career and well, uh, probably along, a lot of along yeah. with a lot of the old grades that were still trying to like he still had hits in 83 84 for sure and then but you know it, it, that was about it and, yeah you know but you look at cash you look at you yeah. know uh Wayne <clears throat> jennings Mar- i mean just you, you can go through and yeah you know these were right when i was kind of aware of music like that was country and then it just became this other animal entirely yeah so you said uh with south by southwest you said was in 2003 yeah and then navasota comes out five years later yep uh well i my uh so that was we'll see the, another thing that i that was part of all of that was uh, my mother passed in 2000 and uh that was what i realized um i didn't get to this earlier because i got a sidetracked myself but um which i tend to do uh the arc of that six month period that we mentioned sure in 03 from march to uh, october or around october uh, what i figured out there as well was that what had happened with my mother's situation was was a, a large contributing factor to that period of time where I came to realize uh, this this is done and I, I couldn't put it into words. But now looking back, of course, I can see that it was a period in my life that was coming to an end. It was a result, you know, a resolving point. And what I couldn't see at the time was that it was a new beginning. And it took me about a year to figure that out. No, no, I can't say I figured it out within a year. It took me about four years to figure it out. But I started writing again. In, in, four, in 2004 and started the first um, early uh, stirrings of the idea of what I was going to do next, which became the Diviners. Mm-hmm. And then that led to uh, the Navasota album. Such which, a beautiful album and that song. I mean, it's hard because, yeah, you know, thank you. it's like, you know, well, what do you, what do you like? And I always hate being like, you know, I like Hey Jude or I like, you know, whatever, whatever the most, you know, easy one is to pick but yeah. you know i i have listened to that song it's funny i've done what you did with um uncle tupelo to, to that album that song specifically and i've introduced oh, like a lot it, of thanks. people who don't know you to you by that song and uh, it, you know it's it's always the same reaction it's just you know that all everything kind of intersected right there at least yeah, in my fanship you. of you of listening to that song and the singing the words and all of it's just Gorgeous. But with, so you, you talk about kind of that being the end of a chapter, the starting mm-hmm. of a new chapter. Yeah. Do you think you fully put that chapter down or is it still with um, you? I mean, this new album that you're working on, you know, is the subject matter always the same or is it something different? Well, there's a similarity. Um, the Navasota, let's call it uh, the period, so to speak. Was, the Navasota um, period. Yeah. Well, well, the writing of it, the, you know, again, uh, I mentioned earlier that I never sit down with a, um, with a, a song concept in mind. I never have. I can't write that way. I can't. You know, there are things I'd like to write about, but I sit down and try and write about something specific. I can't do it. So I just write. I just, you know, the melody comes. 
the phrasing again will come and I'll have, I'll just have what I call placeholder lyrics, you know, that are just cheesy, stupid lyrics that occasionally turn into something good and I'll tweak and massage that over time and then it'll start to fall together. But after the fact is when I really learn out what the song's about. And I like, um, again, I feel, uh, fortunate in that sense where that, uh, I'm about to use kind of a, I don't know, it's what some people call a cheesy term, but I told myself I was going to quit making excuses for this kind of shit. But, uh, the relationship with the muse, uh, mm-hmm. as it is for me, I feel really blessed in that sense that, um, this, I can kind of turn on this tap and in a sense, uh, mentally, spiritually, when it comes to writing and something always comes out. I don't know what the hell it is or what I'm going to do with it, but over time I take it and I work on it and I make it into something and I, but I still feel that I'm more of a conduit than I am a, a you know, some profound creator and of well, good, talk about sculpt- things, sculptures are revealing what was already exactly, in the stone something or, like yeah. that. Yeah. And, um, Navasota was a, you know, all these songs, once they started rolling, I wrote a lot and, uh, there's still songs from that period that I pushed to what I had planned to be the next record for the diviners. And that never came together. Um, uh, but, um, or actually is still in the works <laughs> in, in a sense uh, that I, in the sense that I do want to put that material out as kind of a eponymous uh, sure. thing, uh, posthumous. I was going to call it the diviners, the posthumous years or something, but, um, or the diviners posthumous, but, uh, the Navasota, that book, that group of songs, uh, I didn't really, I kind of knew, but it wasn't until we really you know, sat down and with, uh, Steve Connolly helped me finish that record and, uh, build most of it. Uh, and once we started getting in the final mixing, I, I kind of looked at all the songs and went, Oh, this is, this is all about my mother. Yeah. Almost or about, uh, all those circumstances and the, the psycho emotional, uh, reactions and things I went through relating to her and my family and in Texas and the history of the family in that sense. And, uh, that whole record was just about that. And, and you kind of made her eternal. Uh, you know, it's funny cause you know, these, I'd like to think if I did anything good with that record, it was that, yeah, it was, she was a, that's what's beautiful about art is it'll outlive you, you know, yeah. it, it'll just, it's, it's going to be in some way, shape or form out there forever. And, uh, you know, there's some, there's some, <clears throat> and I, I wanted people to know that, so I, I put very clearly on the record in the in the the uh, graphics the you know my mother's name in memoriam. Uh-huh. This was for her, right? Yeah. Um. So has an, what has there been an album <clears throat> since then? Uh, well, there's been a lot of <laughs> there's been a lot of material. Sure, a lot of working on the material and a plan. Um, this is where, to be honest about all this, everything that's happened since then. Uh, things started, I had some personal health issues starting in, uh, late 2004 also that, uh, lent to what became another, uh, what did we call it? A period in my life, which I really, uh, to be again, honest, I feel like I've just been beginning to come out of right where I went down into a deep, dark hole and, and, you know, didn't, uh, didn't get close to the surface, so to speak, or getting out of it for, um, very often at all. But, um, <clears throat> it's hard to talk about for me because 
I have this, uh, for lack of a better word, psychological imperative where when I talk about these things, honestly, sometimes I feel like I'm making excuses. Yeah. For well, you're very, you're very hard on yourself for <laughs> failures that I've, uh, well, for, for my failures. Sure. Uh, I would say from late 2008 when that Navasota was the number four ad to all Americana radio nationally. Wow. And I wasn't able to capitalize on that. Yeah. Uh, I won't, there were circumstances beyond my control that were related to my family, but there was also my just failing. I was, um, too wrapped up in, uh, how to say it. I didn't, I wasn't consciously aware of it, but I was just too wrapped up in, uh, dealing with the emotional and psychological fallout of the, the shit I was going through at the time with my family and my father. And is he still with us or is yeah, he? No, he's passed. He passed in 12. But, um, so that, um, I guess I just kind of kept myself in this cycle of working a bit and then just falling off track and not working at all for sometimes over a year. And, uh, that's some, that's a cycle that I've struggled with since then. And Were you working a, a day job along <clears throat> with all of this? Off or? And on. Yeah. What? Well, well, then it came to the situation with my dad when he, uh, started getting to the point where I just, he couldn't live alone. Uh -huh. So I had to uh, move us in together and, uh, oh, wow. and uh, I moved into his place in safety Harbor and, um, was just there. That's what I did because, you know, a lot of what I felt I had learned from the situation with my mother is that I was there a lot, but I wished I had been there more. And I had promised myself that I wasn't going to do that with my dad. Sure. I was going to learn from that. It was going to, it was going to be, I was going to turn it into a good thing a good lesson that I had learned. Um, and you know, I wasn't going to let plus, you know, my dad was alone. Yeah. He didn't have anybody down here other than me. So, and there was no way in hell that I was going to let him drift into, a, or, um, <clears throat> you know, let him decline to the point where he had to go into a, an ALF, which he would have had he not, uh, had someone there to keep him on track, so to speak, as far as, you know, health and you know just getting be staying active and trying to live um but uh and coming so, out of that you you mentioned you know just now feeling like it was that can you can you tie it to something was did something click was it something you actively did was it a change of environment well, think, that kind of helped you to finally well i think it was it was definitely a click but i think it was years in the making it was you know like little building blocks that finally built up to the point where I can, in my head's above water now and Oh, my head's above water. I can breathe. Right. In a sense. Um, but, <clears throat> uh, yeah, with just before that start period started, I had, uh, a really bad, uh, back injury at work and I was out of work for about a year and struggled with, you know, the whole workman's comp, uh, medical situation. And then the company, the insurance company, declined my claim and so i had to file a lawsuit and I went through all that crap without me and then i went for about a year without any medical you know, access to medical treatment for the problem and my dad was having some issues too and they um he had had a accident where his injured his neck and they prescribed him morphine sulfate and uh one night i discovered the morphine sulfate bottle yeah and uh that and all the uh related substances to that kind of thing became uh, part of the my uh 
became one of my crutches. Sure. For the next, um, well, that was 2004, 2005, and uh, just finally kicked it all last year. That's huge. Um, and just now, yeah, and to go, forgive me, I tend to, oh. I joke with my friends that my conversations and my, my stories or ex explanations are sometimes like a tree. There's a nice solid trunk and it's going one way and then it just blows up in all these branches of I love it. I love tangents. It. And, I love it. But I always do tend to circle back to the trunk. Um, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, this is kind of would be the first time I've spoken about this publicly beyond a, a few friends and I'm, I have to own it. And in a way, it's a type of catharsis, too. I'm letting it go by talking about it, by admitting to it. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it, but I think I've given enough where you can figure out what the uh, issues were there. But, um, I, uh, you know, that, that kind of helped intensify the issues that I struggle with related to the hereditary uh, uh, issues that I talked to, especially um, that came from my mother's side of the family, having to do with bipolar disorder, where uh, I have a tendency toward clinical depression that's treatment resistant, and it's been something that's been hard to talk about or you know acknowledge. I thought I could handle it on my own, and I learned the hard way that, uh, over the course of sixteen years that that maybe wasn't the best way to go because I've just been until this last January. I mean, a year ago, I was, uh, in a sense, not always, but in a sense, for much of the time, just spinning my wheels. But I was fighting. I was trying to get out of it. Right. I just, I just hadn't uh, built the muscle. I hadn't built the strength to help get me out of it. And, and like I said, over time, it built. And then finally, last January, just something snapped. And that was it. It was just like it wasn't a struggle. Um, I've had no relapses. It was just gone. There's like, you know, I've mentioned gifts a lot tonight, the concept of a gift or I've been blessed. And that was one of the biggest in my life. This, this, this thing, this demon on my back that was like a mountain is just gone. And well, I don't I know mean, how that happened, but yeah. I'm really grateful for it. Well, you know, uh, not everybody does make it out of it. And, and, no, and, don't. and so the fact that you're here talking to me now that you came from a studio, that you're writing music, that you're, you know, seems as though you've you've kind of found a different a different level of existing these are all things to be happy about despite all the other things that you're kind of yeah. beating yourself up about well i think beating is like we come back to what you mentioned earlier about being honest you yeah know, if i'm being honest there's going to be some tough you know difficult things to deal with but you have to look them in the eye and realize that you know it's a it's a just a reflection of an aspect of yourself that you have control over you know i I don't have to give in to that. I, mean, I don't have to fail, at least in that particular way. I'm not. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. You know, if you make an <laughs> you make an honest, hard effort to accomplish what you want to, then hopefully, you know, maybe you will. Well, I was I was telling this story to I had Habgun in here on uh, yeah Thursday night Thursday night, and uh, I was talking to them about how I was a pretty avid concert. I heard goer. they were talking a lot of shit about me. No, so. No. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> calling you out, calling you out. No, um, but I I had gone eighteen months during COVID without seeing a show, and yours was the first show back that I saw at New World Brewery, uh, oh. and it was it was like a religious experience, and I described it as such to them. And I've talked to Scott a good deal about you because I know he's played with you on some things. Yeah, and Scott's great. Obviously, you guys he's... have all you know. I got to see you play when you did the this last 
iteration of the last waltz and all that but um oh that's a yeah that's a great been an amazing thing been really glad to be a part of that but um what was i going with that oh you, you new world brewery that show that was and, talking shit yeah <laughs> no that so i had never especially that burke kid yeah <laughs> the burke brothers grandpa burke and the other burke and they're brothers yeah <laughs> danny's got danny's got a grandkid <clears throat> oh wow yeah man he's old i know i know <laughs> but anyways that show i i went with uh i took a bunch of i don't know why i took a bunch of attorneys there we took a bunch of attorneys and we we're sitting right front and center and Nile brooks who plays he plays like gators and does all this other stuff but uh he's just big redneck but he loves playing guitar and doing all this other stuff and man when you cover that petty song he just lost his shit and then you invited melissa and john on the stage and you did the ozzy song and i was just like <laughs> That was, that was yeah, such that was the perfect fun. show for me I want to do that again to be my first show back <clears throat> it was just a very beautiful beautiful I'm, experience. I'm glad to hear that I'm, yeah i appreciate it and then the second one i saw Thank was have gun when they played there like a couple weeks later oh, i'm sorry yeah i know i can't win them all <laughs> but in any event so can you talk a little bit about what what you're doing in the studio or I mean, yeah so, i don't want to pull back any curtains but no, uh, to come back to that thing I mentioned about the ongoing struggle, you know, I, uh, there's been this record that was started in uh, August of 13, and it was going to be this solo record. And I want to shout out to Rob Pistori, Re Rebecca Puller's sure. partner. And uh, it was his idea. He played bass uh, with me for quite a while. And uh, he hit me this, called me up one day, and he said, you know, I want to, Rebecca, it was when she went on this long tour out west all by herself. And Rob was just sitting around, you know, with Rebecca gone. He didn't have any gigs to play, or many. I mean, he had, um, had others, but <clears throat> his main gigging source of gigs was uh, gone for a while. And he had this idea, that, like, won't you come down to the house? And he has a nice, well, nice gear and a uh, good recording setup, and we'll just do an acoustic record. That was his idea that he had been wanting to do for a while, apparently, was just a, a simple acoustic record with very much little, you know, sparse in instrumentation. And uh, <clears throat> I said, well, sure, man, that's thanks. That'd be cool. So we started working. But then, <clears throat> well, at first, I wasn't sure what I would do. I had a few songs that I thought, well, solo. I always wanted to do the solo acoustic record. I still do. And I'm, that's one of the projects that's in the works now. But um, <clears throat> so, but what then uh, I opened those floodgates and all these ideas started. And I found all these older songs that I hadn't finished. Or, and I started working on them and came up with this group of excuse me, but 10 songs, um, 10, 11 songs. And then I started coming, of course, the other ideas of, well, I want drums on this at least, you know, and then some pedal steel on this and some mandolin on that. And then it kind of became more of a full, you know, band concept. But uh, we got together down there at Rob's um, and uh, with Max Norton on drums. And he and I just laid down the scratches. And Scott Anderson was integral to... Uh, integral to uh uh the recording session there uh he <clears throat> he and rob recorded and kind of engineered and co-produced you know the basic uh tracks there and uh, that became the core of what i've been working on again like i said since then off and on uh start and stop uh unfortunately more start stops than starts any new material uh, new new right oh, yeah. yeah yeah well there's there's a yeah there's a lot of <laughs> A lot of new material in the wings that uh, I've been. Uh, one of my problems is that I, I, again, I come back to that word blessing. I, I have a lot of new stuff that's come uh, that you know was 
come along that I'm in, I work on a little bit of this and then I go over to work on a little bit of that and I don't get really get anything finished. So, and given the fact that I was not working on it nearly as much as I needed to or would have liked to over these last several years, uh, again, with the, the, uh, the big epiphany of last January, it all, you know, the focus came back you know, sure. or, or came to me in a way that it never had before. And now I've done nothing but work on trying to finish this record. And uh, I've changed a lot of things. I had recorded a bunch of stuff over the years prior that I was not happy with. And uh, just, you know, my performance is what I had done. So are you I as critical of your music as you are of yourself? <clears throat> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, how do I answer? I guess, I guess so, because I see them as one and the same. Yeah. Um, I'm getting better at, you know, not being so critical, but, and, uh, what some people might, uh, attribute this delay to is my being perfectionist. It's not the case at all. It's that I was simply fucked up yeah. for 16 years and I had, um, within that, uh, cycle, so to speak, I had very few windows of productivity and that's something that again, I'm, I'm not proud of and I'm trying to make up for that but sure it's taken me i've gotten done in the last uh, 12 months i've gotten more done than i did in the, the four or five years previous and uh, the record's done now with the exception of four harmony vocal parts oh, wow. that uh, and that's it so uh, the thing is the person that i my go-to uh specifically for these songs since she's also a little bit been a part of them uh for uh several years the concept of them and the planning uh, to have her sing on them is uh, my old, old, an old bandmate <clears throat> from the original Diviners lineup, Surya Zalmeyer. It, uh, she played keys and sang harmonies, and she lives in Orlando now, and she's just so crazy busy, it's almost impossible for us to get together. Sure. And I had been chipping away at her parts. I'd been going over there uh, a couple times a month and got most everything done, but I got these four small parts and I need done by her, and ideally, and then the record's done, ready to mix. So... I don't want to, I've said this before. I said it last year because I felt very uh, optimistic about the timeline. And, uh, I mentioned last year, I mentioned, well, I'm hoping to have it out this summer. Um, you know, and I, I'm back to that same spot, but I, I just don't want to put a, anything on it beyond saying that I hopefully we'll have it out before the end of this year. But it's like I said, it's, it's, it's right there. It's, it's I'm ready. Fact, to, it's ready wait. to be born. We're yeah, going to get a new I'm, Will Quinlan album every other decade. It's just going to be. <laughs> no, the thing is that uh, I can promise this, that once this record comes out, the, the backlog and the pipeline is just going to explode. I've That's got, awesome. Uh, That's I, awesome to hear. I have a side project with my uh, my studio partner now, Jim Blaisdell, who's amazing. Is at the studio that I just came from. Sure. It's up and call it the Filson Holler. It's uh, <clears throat> up there in the woods by Pine Island and Wiki Wachi, but um. He's been a great help to me for getting this stuff done and, uh, you know, a great help to my writing and my understanding of, of how to be a writer and how to better be a writer. And, and, um, he's a great, uh, studio wizard and great musician. And he and I also have a side project, uh, called American Dreaming that, uh, we've been writing stuff. Uh, that's gonna, we're gonna have an EP, uh, coming out with that shortly after the release of this record. And then, I've already got the next three or four solo records oh already God. already outlined and mapped, and the songs are all half done. So once I can just get this record done, <laughs> um, I'll be hitting it hard with all that other stuff. How do your powers? I'm, well, I'm hoping to have 
something coming out every, you know, six to 10 months over the next two years or so. That's um, great. Yeah. I'm really excited about it because there's a lot of material that I'm, I'm going to be, I've always been reluctant to talk about things this way, but I said earlier that I wasn't going to make these kind of preamble apologies, but <laughs> I'm really proud of looking forward to releasing this material and getting it that's out there. That's healthy and that's huge. And that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Thank you so much. I was, I was, <laughs> I was telling the guys, the Afghan guys when they were here that I just decided that you were going to be my Colonel Kurtz. Like, I like that. Yeah. I was just <laughs> talking about darkness. They all started laughing. And I was like, I was like, can you just picture <laughs> yeah, Will at okay. the end of the river? And he's like covered yeah, in mud that's, in some that's dark me. room. And so, uh, Martin you know, Sheen kind of walking yeah, around the perimeter. So it wasn't nearly as, as cool of a travel down the river. No, I've seen him outside my window once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At night. That's for another time. <laughs> anyway, thank you right. so much for doing this, uh, making the drive. I know, I know you're, you're not one to want to talk about yourself too much and I'm honored that you spent the time with me. No, I'm, I'm honored to, that you wanted me here and glad we finally got to do it. I'm sorry it took so long to so I just kept schedule. talking to Melissa. I gave her my Mr. Bungle shirt and I was like, unless you want to give that back to me, you're going to get him on the show. <laughs> Right. Did she hit me? She was. She's the one. She, oh, okay. Now I know that the. Okay, that was the incentive behind it. She yeah. wanted her shirt back. Yeah. Okay. There's always there's always something something there. Right. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming by. Yeah. Thank you. All right.